guys, welcome back to episode 44 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I had the pleasure in interviewing Coach Chad Wesley-Smith. Coach Chad Wesley-Smith is most known for his website, jtsstrength.com, Juggernaut Training Systems, which I'll have linked in the show notes. On this episode, me and Chad discussed many topics, including Chad's take on the problems he sees within the strength and conditioning industry, Chad's coaching philosophy, and we also discuss Chad's take on energy system development, especially for alactic aerobic sports like American football. We also discuss many other topics on the show, and it was a really great show, and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Okay, Coach uh, Chad Wesley-Smith, uh, like every guest that comes onto my show, it's an honour and a pleasure to have you on. Um, you're someone I've been, I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a while, and uh, you were very, very um, gracious, gracious with your time. You, you got back to me straight away and, and booked in an hour very quickly, so I really, really do appreciate it. Just for um, the listeners who may not might be too familiar with who you are, just, just fill us in, Chad. Um, I'm a strength athlete of many disciplines here in the United States. Um, started out throwing the shot put through college, um, through 20 meters as a post-collegiate thrower. actually had a lot of opportunities to spend time with the UK Athletics group when they come to the United States here and, and uh, actually hosted them at, at Juggernaut for three years, like Christina Hurugu, Andy Turner, Dwayne Chambers. Really? Uh, so I have a special affinity for that for that group, and then uh, moved from track and field on to powerlifting, where I squatted uh, 905 pounds, 411 kilos for the American record in the 308, 140 kilo class, and uh, also, I guess I totaled 985 kilos, my best total, 2171, and that was by way of... Uh, 871 squat, 512 bench, and 788 deadlifts. I don't know the kilos off the top of my head there. Um, and then also moved on to strongman, became a professional strongman in the United States in a pretty uh, pretty short amount of time. And all the way along were, was coaching uh, athletes from different sports, uh, primarily football, I guess would be what I'm most well-known but also um, track and field, jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts, uh, but football is certainly my, my passion there. Chad, I, I asked, I suppose, nearly, nearly all the strength and conditioning coaches that come, in, come on this question, what do you think are the, the major problems you see within the, the strength and conditioning field? Uh, you know, I actually wrote an article about this, maybe two months or so ago called The Problem with Strength and Conditioning. And that, that was really that was really focused on the uh, collegiate strength and conditioning model yeah. here in the United States, uh, which you know, definitely each, each kind of uh, level of strength, strength and conditioning coaching, whether it's high school professional or high school collegiate professional, private sector, are all going to have their own unique issues associated with them. Um, but for collegiate, what I, I see as being the biggest problem here are, are a couple things. Uh, one is a, a lack of program management. Um, and anyone who's familiar with James Smith, and he's had a big, big influence on, on what I do, um, he talks about this a bit more in-depth than I probably ever could. But, uh, you know, lack of program management where coaches want to compartmentalize the ideas of sport training, you know, like sport practice and their physical training. Yeah. Um, and those ideas cannot be compartmentalized like that because they, they're they interrelated. You know, the, the body does not know what a squat is or a, or a sprint or med ball throw or, or a, you know, a tackling drill or any, anything like that. It just knows stress and stimulus and all of that needs to be you know accounted for and managed in a synergistic way and if that's a failure to do that exists which it so often does where there's you know one coach controlling the the sport practice and another coach controlling the physical preparation and there's not the necessary communication there 
uh, could definitely lend to uh, lend itself to overtraining or just uh, improperly focused periods of, of training. So that's that's the main problem I see, uh, as well as you know, lack of understanding of energy systems, improper exercise selection. You know, coaches wanting to do something because it's you know it's going to look good on a YouTube video. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, particularly in the collegiate model here, I think a lack of attention and lack of monitoring of the athlete's nutrition, which of course everyone knows plays such a huge role in their uh, in the success of their training. But you know whether it's just a, a lack of time that prevents the coach from doing a good job there, or it's a, a lack of knowledge, or hopefully not just a lack of caring, but whatever the reason is, it's not. You touched on energy systems there, and we'll definitely get into that later on. Just a side note, do you think then, as a part of nearly every single sort of strength and conditioning course certification, or just as a general part of somebody who is learning their trade in strength and conditioning, that stress physiology and the study of stress physiology is something that really should be paramount with every coach as in you know the study of the the neurolog the neuro neurological system the neurophysiology of it all autonomic nervous system like there just seems to be a very very ignorant sort of understanding of basic stress physiology yeah i think uh, an understanding of that would, would definitely be, uh, be a value to any coach and i don't know if you've seen it's a pretty lengthy interview with uh Vladimir Zatsarovsky that was posted probably nine months or a year ago on YouTube mm. and uh, interesting to hear him talk about you know the the education system in the Soviet Union that he had to go through to become a coach where in the United States you know you could have a very informal uh, or non-existent education uh, process and I guess you know for me to be saying that my degree is in history and I'm you know really self-taught in in this whole field um and, and without any you know certifications without any letters after my after my name um maybe i'm an interesting person to be saying this but you know he was going to school for for four years to become a coach you know kind of a two-year general education of anatomy physiology kinesiology all that and then a two-year education process specific to the sport, yeah. which he wanted to go into coaching. Mm-hmm. And and to think that, you know, it's people have the ability to, uh, to handle the athlete's training, something that could have a, a huge impact on their, on their life and, and injury and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, with, with no certification process. And like I said, it's maybe it's ironic that I'm the person saying this, but, but for someone to be able to be, you know, a hairstylist in the United States, you have to have, you have to have a certification where, you know, if, if you screw up an athlete's training, they're maybe dealing with, you know, a lifetime of chronic back issues or, you know, an ACL surgery or whatever it is. And if you screw up their haircut, you just wait for six weeks until it grows back. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. uh, a bit of an odd concept. Well, without question and I'm exactly like you like okay I have a few certifications here and there but for the most part I'm I'm very much self-educated as well but there, there definitely just seems to be a large you know as Alan Watson philosophy ignorance of kind of the, the fundamental importance of understanding stress and stress physiology uh, with regards to just influences you mentioned James Smith the thinker um who you know fantastic mind great mind had him over in ireland in 2012 for a seminar who else would you say chad have been big influences on you both as a coach and and as a person um well as a person stuff i'd just say you know my my family my my dad and my two older brothers um but as a coach you know people who i've had personal interaction with uh james is far and away number one there with uh, number two probably being um, Joe DeFranco, and that's as much from a business you know, that he was like the real inspiration in starting Juggernaut. Um, where so from just a coaching standpoint, I mean the, the people that I definitely you know read and appreciate the most um, are Bondar 
Kachuk and Charlie Francis, mm. and of guys you know who are putting more information. I mean, obviously Charlie's not writing anything now, mm. uh, but the guys who are putting a lot of information out there currently, I'd say Mark, Martin Bingerser, who I just posted an article from today on Juggernaut, and he's probably you know the the best the best source of uh, special strength information available and you know because his english is much stronger than dr yeah Bond, but Joss, yeah he's almost he, he's almost like a translator for that um and so yeah i think uh, martin is excellent and uh joel jameson is another guy that i i really enjoy his writing yeah definitely uh i mean you've named guys there that, that definitely have been big influences of me like joel is a huge one i, I mean I think Joel's book, you know, the the ultimate MMA conditioning, that really sort of when I read that, I was like, oh, so this is what energy systems are about. This isn't that complicated at all. <laughs> but uh, you're you're right too with Martin. Uh, I, when I saw Martin on Joel's website, like, because when when I, I think I was like a lot of people, you read Bonner Truck stuff and you're kind of like, I think I get it, but I'm not too sure if I do get it. And then like when Martin explained, you're like, oh yeah yeah, I get this. So uh, yeah, he, he definitely. I think he's the best kind of Western interpretation of Bondarchuk stuff, without question. As he said, because because Doctor Bondarchuk's English wouldn't be wouldn't be the best now. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's almost kind of what James was for me too. You know, you can read Science and Practice and and Super Training and all this stuff, and it's you're always wondering like, am I really doing it right? But to be able to you know talk to James about it on a daily basis and then watch him put it into practice. Now it seems it all seems so simple. Yeah. You know? Like. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing that I appreciate about Charlie Francis writing the, the most is that uh, and just every everything that Charlie does is like you you read something and it's just so intuitive and it's like well why why doesn't everyone do it that way you know, it, it, this makes so so much. It's so simple. It makes so much so much sense. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I, I'm actually just rereading Training for Speed, and and uh, just yeah, just he was just intuitive was was the perfect word. I took the word right out, and it was just like so far ahead of anyone. Just you know, why are you doing tempo running? No one does tempo running. And he's just like you know, heats the motor neurons, gets the blood flow through the capillaries, the blood carries the nutrients. Just like such like logical type of stuff. You know, it was just yeah, it was just what he really was. Just with regards to your coaching philosophy, Chad, um, if someone was to say to you, you know, what what are your, what's your philosophy? Or some people don't like the term philosophy; they they rather coaching principles. What are your principles? What are your big stones that you go by? And, and to be honest, I think you, you kind of slightly touched on this when I asked, what do you think the problems are in the industry? And what I actually meant to say to you there was, I I think what we see myself and yourself and other coaches listen to this. I think what 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 we tend to see in the strength conditioning industry is there's a lot of methods, but there's very few principles. You know okay this exercise looks great so we'll do because it's it's great and it makes the guys tired but there's no sort of principle or method or like uh, logical methodology behind it it's just an exercise thrown there for for shits and giggles basically so lots of methods but not principles so what what is your overall coaching philosophy or principles um you know well i am a method guy i almost feel like i was the first method guy at least at least to actually call my book the something method but uh yeah, everyone yeah. wants to steal my my titles but um, as as I'm looking at the at the development of athletes um, and and what I want to do with with their programming, there there's really you know four tenets that I that I build any program on, regardless regardless of goal. Um, and and those are are going to be that sport practice is king. You know that the development of of the sporting skill is the only irreplaceable component of the athlete's training. And my job as a physical preparation coach is to enhance that sport practice, not to detract from it. And I think uh, so many strength coaches, you know, get caught up in in this. Well, you know, how much can my guy bench, or how much can he squat, or what what did he, you know, do this test in, and uh, you know, whatever time it was, and and they're almost, you know, they're training them for something else. They're not trying to enhance the sport practice, so that's that's my number one goal is is that sport practice is king, and to enhance the the ability, the athlete's ability on the on the playing field. Yeah. Um, and to do that, I want to I want to choose exercises with a high degree of transfer. Um, yeah, I always I want to have a reason behind why why we're doing everything. You know, that 
always tell my, my football guys, you know, as they go off to work with their respective schools and stuff, that, you know, if, they're, if their coach can't answer the question, I, I tell them, you know, if they ever want to ask me, why are we doing this? And I don't have an answer, or the answer is because that's the way that I did it, or, or you know, because it's going to make you tough, or whatever it is like that, you know, that they should be very wary of someone making those answers. Walk the other way. Yeah. yeah. So I always want to want to choose things that are you know are really carrying over to their to the skills they need to succeed. Um, we want to address their address their weak points and. You know, there's a lot of talk about that in, in powerlifting and, and Olympic lifting and stuff because it's much easier to conceptualize a weak point as a weak muscle that's causing a technical breakdown at some at some uh, part of the lift. Um, but I think as you get into you know team sports or or combat sports or uh, you know I, I deal with a lot of CrossFit athletes and and it's really the most interesting challenge to me uh, is preparing a competitive CrossFitter. But as you as you get in the you know these multidisciplinary uh, or multi energy system type of sports, uh, looking at addressing a weak point, you know, it could be much more than just well, my triceps are weak, so I couldn't walk out that bench press. But you know, what what energy systems, what physical skills uh, need need to be brought up for them to be to be successful? Um, I think that's. Yeah, that's a really important thing to, to deal with. Or it could even be, you know, what psychological skills, whatever whatever weak point is in that is in the athlete's game that's holding them back from greater success. Mm. You know, the training needs to address that. And uh, fourth is is to consolidate stressors. You know, to to move over the course of a training cycle or over the course of an annual plan or quadrennial or a training career. To move from uh, you know general to specific, uh, from from breadth you know and, and width of training to, to focus, and uh, yeah, I think if you're doing those those four things well, um, you know, you're really going to create uh, effective effective programming for for your athletes. Yeah, I think you, I think you touched on a, a very important point there that. Sorry, just, there's an echo going on there in my uh, my little thing. There's a stop there. Yeah, I, th- I think you touched on a very important thing there that that a lot of coaches, and I'm saying strength and conditioning, and actually I'm like you and James. I I always say I prefer to be called a, a physical preparation coach because strength and conditioning is just like it's a very narrow term. But I think a lot of strength and conditioning coaches have this sort of narrow mindset of oh did did my guy squat go up or deadlift go up or bench press up or whatever it is and yet it's like well are they actually getting better on the field to play or like are they you know is it carrying over and and it's so it's so refreshing hearing someone like you chad i mean like you just said there you're a, you're a 900 pound plus squatter so i think guys might look at you thinking oh power lifter probably just wants probably thinks it, all it takes is fucking max effort dynamic effort and repetition effort and that's it don't do anything else with them and it's just very refreshing to hear you say no like the, the the sport practice is the king. What we do is general physical preparation. We, you know, we're looking after the biomolecular qualities, the energy systems, but we still have to make sure it's transferring to the field. So, sorry. That, that, I think coaches, you know, who who are competitors as well, or who have been competitors, they always they like to they like to make the athletes do what they do. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a big a big mistake. You know that that they're not competing in powerlifting, so why would I train them like powerlifters or? They're not competing in strongmen, so why would I train them like strongmen? And the same thing happens with with Olympic weightlifters. I think any time that someone is a a dot 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 guy, that that's something to be wary of. You know, whether they're a, a powerlifting guy or an Olympic lifting guy or a kettlebell guy or a you know Vertimax guy or whatever they are. You know, it's you, you want to put a lot of tools a lot of tools in your box because you know if if you only have if you only have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yeah. Uh, that, that whole kind of thing, we want to be able to solve solve a lot of different problems or you know, issues for the athlete. Big time, big time. Right, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about Juggernaut. How, how did Juggernaut come about? What, first of all, what is Juggernaut? All right. Uh, well, what Juggernaut is now is really uh, educa- education for the, for the athlete and coach. And I'm trying to bring... You know, experts in a variety of fields, uh, different sports, different um, 
quality, nutrition, um, experts in all those fields and, and give them a platform to, to reach more people and to, to help, you know, that I, I always tell my authors, my team guys, that if we can consistently, effectively, and entertainingly answer the question, how can we help dot, dot, dot improve, we will be successful. How can we help powerlifters improve, strongmen, weightlifters, crossfitters, sport coaches, therapists, people trying to lose fat, you know, whatever you, we're filling in that dot, dot, dot with a lot of different things, but we're really, you know, trying to help them improve. But Juggernaut has really evolved from uh, in-person training, um, you know, of me training athletes at a, at a facility here in California um, to be able to, you know, just reach a much broader audience uh, through our articles and ebooks, webinars, seminars and clinics, um, our digital magazine, which we just started doing our, our membership platform. Um, so yeah, that's that's what it what it really what it really is now is, is just trying to you know bring the people bring people who are trying to improve information from from the people who are living it every day. You know, I think there are people who they read research or peer-reviewed journals and stuff, but they don't really train, you know. And then, and then there's people who, you know, just just train but aren't aren't coaching and, and that end of things. Uh, we're trying to kind of you know, give give the people a voice who are who are living it every day, who are training hard, who are coaching people, who are doing the research to try and improve both of those uh, components for themselves and those that they work with. Mm. Um, yeah, so so that's what it is. <laughs> No, good, because that's a great answer. Uh, and, and just for anyone out there, I mean, I, I've, I have all of, well, I don't have all, but I have a lot of Chad stuff. You know, I have the Juggernaut Method, the first one, the football one, and the, the Nutrition Encyclopedia, and, you know, it's all great stuff, and I highly recommend everyone check out that website. And we'll give the website details at the end. Uh, Olympic lifts, Chad, this is something I wanted to touch on, because I, I was actually interested when, when I saw the uh, Juggernaut for football, and, you, you know, you had Olympic lifts in the program, um, like I suppose maybe because I know you're good friends with James and I, I know James wouldn't be someone who would be a, a huge Olympic lifting proponent or, or fan um, what, what's your what's your take on Olympic lifts? Yeah, you know if, if I had it my way they would not they would not do the Olympic lifts the inclusion of them in the book is is I guess acquiescing to public demand to some degree yeah. that that's, everyone wants to do them and I don't think you know, I've, I've softened my position on them some in the last year or so just because I've been able to spend a lot more time with high-level Olympic lifters and Olympic weightlifting coaches. Um, that I think probably because I have a better understanding of, of how to coach them now, I'm not as reticent to include them, but obviously not everyone has, has that access. Uh, hopefully the, the videos that we included in the... Uh, in with the manual from from Colin Burns, who's one of the top lifters here in the United States, of, of how he coaches the lifts and can you know start people in the in the right direction mm-hmm. uh, of how to do them well with their athletes. Yeah, I thought that that, that was an excellent uh, video. I really enjoyed it. F- very similar to Glenn Penley, but there was one or two things he did slightly differently. But I, I, I the the way he thought it was excellent. Thank you. Yeah. So I I use you know I do use the Olympic lifts with my with my football players here. Um, assuming that when they go to college, because the main population that I work with are high school seniors, and I, I prepare them to, to go to their whatever college they're going to play at the next year. And nine times out of ten, uh, maybe 99 times out of 100, the college that they're going to is going to require them to do at least some version of the clean. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I get their their programs and see what they have to be ready to do and if, if they're if they need to clean in the snatch then i'm going to teach them how to clean and snatch because i'm more comfortable with how i'm going to teach that rather than how their coach is going to teach that not to say that their coach doesn't know what he's doing because it's it's just an unknown yeah. to me you know and, and i know how i'm going to teach it yeah. so so i have been uh the last two years including them uh though you know they're certainly not we, we, we clean and snatch enough so that they know how to do it. And we've had you know, good results with, with guys 
you know, several, several players, even, even light, you know, 90 kilo, um, skill position players doing over 140 kilos in the, in the clean. Um, and then some of our, our bigger guys had a guy who was about weighed about a hundred and about 102 kilos last year. And he, he cleaned 170, 165 kilos, uh, you know, which would make him a, a very good junior lifter here in mm, the United States. Mm. Um, and that's all. Yeah, maybe we do the lifts twice a week. Um, so, so I use them some, but but as I said, if if I had the the option, and you know, I was going to be their college strength coach too, then I I, I would not include them, um, just because I think the time can be better served with with other drills, and that there are some some people that even with a great coach, they're just going to struggle to uh, to develop you know adequate technique in the yeah. lifts. Yeah. Um, what I do really like them for, though, is even if you just do like a, a bar warm-up, you know, just going through uh, the way that Colin shows it in the videos, you know, the positions from the hip and, and below the knee and the floor in the clean and the snatch, using that as like a general warm-up forces the athlete to, to improve their, their mobility, their, their ankle mobility, their hip mobility, their pelvic mobility, their thoracic mobility, all you know, very positive qualities, and you could do that without even you know, ever putting weight on the bar. Yeah, big time. Uh, just uh, something I, uh, that I've been thinking of, uh, or a question I really wanted to ask either yourself or James is, and probably more so yourself, because you said you've kind of warmed more to Olympic lifts. Do, do you think there is a certain a certain body weight to, to weight ratio that someone needs to be lifting a, an Olympic lift at to actually get the benefit from Olympic lifts? Like, what I see a lot of before I let you answer, what I see a lot of is I see a lot of coaches, you know, doing hand cleans and they're like, oh, they're like, oh, Olympic lifts improve explosive strength, and and true, they do do that, but I often see like their their athletes are just hand cleaning like 135 pounds or 100 and whatever something pounds, and I'm kind of thinking, are they really getting any benefit from doing you know three reps at 180 pounds and they weigh 200 pounds like, you know, so like because people always go, oh, Olympic lifters are the most explosive athletes in the world, Olympics make explosive, I'm like yeah, but Olympic lifters are lifting you know that's their sport and they're actually lifting a sufficient enough load to get that benefit from it do you think like that there is a certain you know as you said the guys you just named there were, were actually power cleaning or, or or full cleaning a lot of weight there so they were definitely getting enough load to get the stimulus is that question making sense yeah definitely uh so two two things that uh i'll talk about there so first before i answer the question i think the idea that the olympic lifts make you explosive is a bit of a, a like logical fallacy. I don't know the name. Yeah, or, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I think that's a, that's akin to saying that playing basketball makes you tall. You know? <laughs> um, it's, it's the people who are Olympic, actual Olympians in weightlifting. They are Olympians in weightlifting because they are extremely explosive. You know, they they, they were born that <laughs> they were yeah. born that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, did they continue to train those qualities through their Olympic lifting training? Certainly. Um, so, so that's that's important to under, understand that that the people who are Olympic weightlifters who are actually in the Olympics were explosive before they started doing weightlifting. You know, shot putters are, are extremely explosive too, but no one is trying to teach their athletes how to throw the shot put. You know, yeah, to yeah. to make them more explosive, like yeah. they might do med ball throws. You know, so so then uh, like that that kind of regression of, of the movement, like yeah, it's still a throw, and you know that's what shot putters do. So you know, with the Olympic lifters, you know, we just do the pulls or the squats or whatever it is. And now uh, James has said that even talking with uh, Ivan Abjev, that Abjev said he doesn't understand why American football players want to do the do the lifts like if they understand how to squat and pull that's all that they would need to do mm. um so I think that's that's an interesting point you know from someone who people would probably think would be the biggest proponent of the lifts yeah, yeah. Um, so then as far as needing to be able to use a substantial load i think that that just hits at the at the root of exercise selection in general if you're dealing with a football player, let's say, and every single one of these, you know, traditional barbell movements 
is a general exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, the, de- the degree of transfer difference between a clean and a high pull and a squat and a front squat, you know, are all fairly negligible. Yeah. Um, then you just want to choose the exercise that the athlete can you know, perform safely, you know, that their technique looks good in it, and that they can produce a good output on it. So, um, you know, let's take the Olympic lifts out of the equation for a second. If you have someone, you know, who because of whatever mobility issues cannot back squat well, but they can box squat well, you know, then, uh, and I mean well, like with a substantial amount of weight, um, then the box squat's a better a better option because they're going to be able to give their body a more significant stimulus. Mm. So if we extend that now to the Olympic lifts, if they don't have the ability to produce, you know, a, a good output on it, then it's probably not providing them with with enough stimulus, and and that person would be, you know, uh, it would be more beneficial for them to let's say like just do the pull or a, a high pull and squats. And I think that's really a better model anyways, because any, any of the issues that arise with the Olympic lifts, whether it's people not being able to learn the technique effectively or, you know, it, it being stressful to like the wrist or shoulder, um, if you just do the pull, that pretty much alleviates both of those issues. You yeah, know, the, yeah. the pull is a much simpler technique. Like everyone's screwing it up in the catch. Yeah, and, yeah. and the wrist and shoulder stress is all happening in the catch as well. So I think the, the pull for, for most people would be a very worthwhile uh, exercise. Because mm. And just a, a final point I want to bring up, and again, I absolutely want to get your opinion, hence why I'm bringing it up, is that you'll, you'll get some coaches saying, well, you know, you have strength and you have speed strength. Uh, and, sorry, you have strength and you have strength speed, and then you have speed strength, and then you have, have speed. So, you know, strength is looked after with our kind of more traditional strength lifts uh, and speed strength is kind of looked after with our jumps and our throws and then speed obviously will sprint or whatever you know do our absolute speed and accelerations and then they kind of say strength speed is looked after with Olympic lifts and they would say you know if you take Olympic lifts out you're kind of missing this chunk of the puzzle you're kind of missing a part on the overall power or explosive strength paradigm but again like I often hear James saying you know if you're and you kind of touched it there you know if you're just kind of again it's negligible kind of the difference of the transfer of the lifts and if you're just doing the kind of strength work along with throws and jumps that they should look look after your sort of rate of force development and the things yeah certainly i mean i you know i threw the shot at 20 meters without doing an, an olympic lift variation for four years mm. like but i weighed 290 pounds squatted 700 had a you know 35 and a half inch vertical hmm. uh 10 10 and a half foot broad jump and yeah, ran in like the four sixes and a forty yard dash, uh, weighing two hundred ninety pounds. I'll, I'll put my power output. <laughs> yeah, I'll stack that, that that power output credentials up next to anyone, no matter how much they clean yeah, or yeah, snatch. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, because I I think for the for the athlete, you know, for for a football player, basketball player, whatever, that the lifts, even you know, dynamic effort. Powerlifting movements or the Olympic lifts are moving so slow compared to, you know, the action on the on the field. Mm. That let's take the the shot put for example. You know, a seventy foot throw in the shot put, the ball is moving like thirteen meters per second. Um, but no, you know, obviously no Olympic lifting movement is anywhere near that. You know, maybe you're in the in the three meters per second in the snatch. So, you know, how does three meters per second teach you how to go 13 meters per second? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a question that just popped into my head, and I love talking about this, and I actually love always trying to explain this to other coaches, is training efficiency. Because there's so much inefficient training, like that big buzz about 10 years ago, maybe not even 10 years ago, like five to 10 years ago, of everyone was just doing hit training and all these intervals like with at least that are of an alactic aerobic nature and this will kind of tie into our energy system development question too but and i know james also talks about training efficiency and, and very interesting question and i really want to get your thoughts on it too is is this idea of kind of you know using those sub maximal weights using just enough stimulus 
but not so much that it's impeding recovery. And and I think you know you can appreciate this you know from, from your from your position in America with American football coaches, like and I think this it's not just in America; it's prevalent around the world. You know, more, more, harder, harder is better, more is better. And they just you know if you're not straining every day, going to the gym, it's a waste of time. And you know they just don't seem to understand this idea of training efficiency. You know, just getting enough stimulation but not annihilating the athlete at the same time. Can you just touch on training efficiency and then maybe we'll tie that in with our energy system um, question. Yeah, I mean, all all the time you want to adhere to the idea of doing the the least amount necessary to get the desired result. Yeah. You know, if if three sets get the job done, why do five? Yeah. You know, if if you're trying to get leaner and cutting 20 carbs out per day is going to get the job done, then why cut out 50? Mm -hmm. Because at some point... You know, either of those examples is going to exhaust itself, and you'll need to make another adjustment. Exactly. From that, so if I cut 50 carbs right away, when 50 stops working, now I have to go to 70. But if I only cut 20 right away, you know, then I can go to 30 and 40, and so on and so forth. Um, so I think that's that's an important thing thing to understand, particularly with you know American football. You know, toughness and and that stuff is such a big component. And I don't think that that's really, you know, for the majority of the population, something that's going to get developed in, in the weight room. Like, you know, if you have a kid who gets to college, you know, an 18, 19-year-old kid, and he's a pussy, you can do all the, uh, you know, push all the sleds you want, make him puke as many times as you want. He's still going to be a pussy. Like, that's not going <laughs> to change. Yeah. You know, but with, with very rare exceptions. Um, so I, I think that coaches want to almost take what I would call like a like a shotgun approach. You know that the, they're gonna they're gonna blast it out there and do a bunch of a bunch of stuff. Where you know James, who's is crit, you know thinking as critically about everything as humanly possible, you know he's taking a sniper approach. He want, he he knows the spot he wants to hit, and and he's gonna aim very specifically at it. Uh, where other just you know less educated or less clever coaches, I think in a lot of senses aren't going to be able to to make that focused you know focus their energy uh, as well. And you know that's that's just the the nature of of life. And there's people who are better at things than other people are. But yeah, just a, a very interesting. And again, it's it's more so for the listeners. But in in your football um, seminar video that you done. Um, and we'll, t- we'll tell the, the guys listening to this where, where they can find out more about the juggling football which I highly recommend it's brilliant for, for, particularly for the money it was I thought it was you know, extremely undervalued uh, <clears throat> it was w- well worth the investment um, you, you know you, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing here I'm not too sure what, what the exact set and rep scheme was that you said but basically you said something along the lines of you know instead of doing 5 sets of 10 and say it was like a close to 10 RM why not do 10 sets of 5 at the same load it's the same overall volume but the stress is different it's it's actually less stressful yeah so that, so that's really an idea from uh, Juggernaut Method 2.0 uh, which I think is such a vast improvement on the, on the first one um, so the idea being that Doing five, you know, doing five sets of ten at sixty percent and ten sets of five at sixty percent are are the same, you know, the, they're the same volume and, and same intensity, but doing you're doing the less reps per set, you're going to get such a higher quality of work, you know, because maybe in the in the first set, if you're doing five sets of ten, that your first set all ten reps look good, you know, the bar moves explosively and technique looks good. In the second set, maybe nine look like that, and the tenth rep's kind of a grinder. You get out of the groove, and then eight are good, and yeah, you, know, you get the pattern. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, in ten sets of five, you know, you can make all five reps look great every time, reinforcing you know what you want to reinforce with the proper movement patterns and uh, and you know just imparting better speed to the bar and developing greater technique. And that that, that idea could could hold true with with you know any any skill um, you know, of, of just focusing more on the quality of work rather than just the quantity of work and, and making sure that things you know look good before an ex- extra load is is added to them and this is one that I see happen happen all the time is you know coaches think it's like you know it's hardcore it's like you know it's 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 like sexy to put 
you know, weight on a sled or a parachute on or whatever, but the kid can't run well with nothing. Yeah. You know, so, so why, why add this extra load that's going to make it even, even worse? And, and, uh, and that, that kind of lends into the, into the energy system discussion of, as you get into, to doing these lactic based, you know, longer duration stuff, you know, maybe the first, you know, maybe the first rep looks good and, but then the fifth rep looks like total shit. And, you know, what did you do besides, you know, reinforcing proper movement patterns? Uh, so I'll I'll let you kind of direct that to where you wanted to go with it. But yeah. So the, so the next question, and like, this is a topic I I love. It's, it's funny because I have a friend, Nicole Rodriguez, who works at Atlas Performance and like, her thing is like she loves just loves talking about multi-directional speed and movement and to be honest now, she she has given me a, a way bigger appreciation for movement quality and and definitely multi-directional speed and and actually i've i've grown it's kind of like you at olympus i've grown very fond now of teaching movement skills and and uh, multi-directional stuff but that re- that really what as a coach that that's what tickles her she says but with me, with me it's like i love talking about energy systems i love talking about program design periodization like that is a sh- like uh, that's probably why i'm drawn to the likes of you and james because you guys love talking about this so like it's it's just exciting that there's someone on the other end of the of the phone who gets this <laughs> so like just with regards to energy systems so for the listeners we know that there is there is the creatine phosphate atp or a lactic system there is our lactate system and then there's our aerobic system and my question to Chad is American football is like probably one of the most alactic aerobic sports you could get, even more so than the sports which I coach here. I don't know if you've ever seen the Irish sports hurling and getting football. But they're uh, they're a, they're lactic aerobic. They'd be more along the lines to, to soccer or or rugby with regards to their energy systems or Australian rules football. But like American football is even more so alactic aerobic than my sports and yet I constantly always see American football coaches in the high schools and collegiate constantly doing 150 shuttles and suicides and purely just lactate base and you know it's all for you know more mental type stuff and all this stuff but anyway i'm ranting out my question here let's just why do you think there's such a again an ignorance of energy system development oh you know yeah i think a lot of it does tie into the to the mental toughness and the you know a more is better kind of kind of approach and you know if the athlete is it's a very basal instinct for uh, an athlete or a coach to, if they feel like they're about to puke, they think, man, I just had such a, a great workout. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, they, they just don't, they don't understand how those relate to each other and how that's actually undoing the work that they want to do. So what coaches need to do is just, they need to take a step back. They need to look at, you know, they, they need to look at the sport. They need to, to look at the way the athlete moves in the sport, the distances they're covering, the time it takes them to cover those distances, you know, what resistance they, they face during that, during that time and the rest periods between those. And if, if you understand, you know, if coaches understand how to look, you know, what they're looking for in, in terms of, you know, what, uh, what each energy system is like what time frames and, and heart rates and efforts it, it encapsulates and, they can very simply, you know, look at any sport, really, and 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 program for it. Like I deal with sports that I've never I've never played before, but I, I feel very confident in their training because I can, you know, effectively analyze the the movement of, of the sport. Like it's you don't have to have played a have to have played a sport to be able to train it effectively. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you know you know what to look for, and I don't know if these coaches they don't know what to look for. Or they're they're just uh, you know they they're just complacent in, in what they're doing, or, yeah. or they they feel like you know they're working so hard that it must be good. And five four years ago, five five years ago, I was guilty of the same thing. Yeah, you yeah. There's videos of, of me having having someone do a prowler suicide, and I, I think I may have deleted it from my YouTube now. Hopefully, I did. If, if I didn't, <laughs> I'm gonna go delete it right now. <laughs> And and you know I I was dumb then, and I'm smarter now. Maybe in five in five more years I'll look back at stuff I'm doing now, and you know, hopefully I won't think that I was dumb. But it's a possibility. Yeah, yeah. So you know, but because I I was dumb then, you know, I I see other people who are who are dumb now. Yeah. I saw a video on 
Instagram yesterday of, of someone having two NFL players do a bunch of prowler suicides with a group of competitive crossfitters. Yeah. You know? And and I know I know the people who posted the video. I, I it took all of my self control to not just start commenting in there about how fucking dumb they were. Yeah. You know? But and you see even the the NFL players who are in the video commenting in it, you know, oh, such a great workout today, like, you know, you really kicked our ass, whatever, and it's 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 so confusing to me now, like, I, I look back and like, how how was I so dumb at the time to do, to do these to do these things, and yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a sorry, sorry to cut across, but it's it's um it, it is it is an interesting topic in that okay the, the likes of myself and, and yourself and james and, and uh, many other coaches too like we 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 understand like the energy systems but i i've had this discussion with, with a with a coach here in ireland and like you know he you know he, he still feels that you know every like doing doing a bit of bit of that type of stuff every now and again once in a while like is fine and to be honest like I, i'm kind of saying like yeah every once in a while is grand as long as it's not like you know it, if it's one percent out of a hundred okay yeah. but but like, cause, cause he, cause he, he, he was saying to me, like he, he, he would argue, and again, this is kind of like, cause he's a victim of the culture. It's, it's like going back to those coaches. The reason why they're getting their athletes to do is because that's what was probably done to them when they were football players. So they don't know any better. But you know, he was like, oh, I, th- I think guys need that bit of, you know, hardship, that bit of togetherness. And I, all, I always say back to him, I said, but if, if you were to train me like that now, I would be thinking in my head, this is making me worse. So I, I what I was trying to say to him is, it's a lack of education to the players. Like, if, you know, if you said, guys, you realize that if you trained more efficiency, like like the methods that we would espouse, this more lactic aerobic type stuff, that this is actually making you better. Whereas doing all of that volume of lactate stuff is making you worse. You think it's making you better because that's what you're led to believe. So I was trying to tell this coach, it's just a lack of education. Like if you took me now and, and brought me to play to play with a team and we started doing loads of lactate based training and our sport is a lactate aerobic in my head i'm like this is making me worse this is not and then then psychologically i'm feeling bad because i know this training is not good like so i was just trying to say to them it's just a lack of education on the player part yeah and you know that's that's almost a, a first a first or second day conversation that i have with with oh, most of my football a- guys absolutely absolutely so i uh, so people are like is, is that it is that or like is that or i'm like Whenever I'm doing speed work with people, you probably get the same. They're like, you know, they want to go again. I'm like, no, you need to, yeah. you need, you need to rest. <laughs> this is speed work, not conditioning. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've been at the track days and days at a time, you know, with Dwayne Chambers, and I knew what I was looking at, you know, because track and field was my life for 15 years. But I always tell people like, if you came over there and and you saw Dwayne Chambers workout or Usain Bolt workout or any any high level sprinter like that. You think they were lazy as shit? <laughs> like, yeah, they, they do six seconds of work and then they stand around for you know for ten minutes and you know they do that for two and a half hours and then they're done. Yeah, but yeah. if if people just can't understand the the level of output that's that's occurring there, that, that's ex- you took the words out of my mouth. See, what people can't conceptualize is the, the the actual neural output that they've just put their body through is just something that most near mortals are never going to be able to do. Like, yeah. So well, it, yeah, it it just it's so stressful on the system. And just a little back question on that: Do you think then that when you're doing speed with athletes of say a lesser neural capability, that they don't actually have to rest as long because they're not getting into that neural? output does that make sense you know they're not putting yeah. do you think that their rest periods therefore couldn't like obviously you know i mean i'm not going to be like it's not going to be turned into condition but do you think that they wouldn't have to rest as long as the Dwayne chambers or usain bolt oh yeah definitely yeah. they don't need to um you know the, the general rule of thumb that i use with, with my guys is 30 seconds for every 10 yards of work to do yeah uh that they do and and if i had a, a youth athlete you know maybe like a, a junior high 12 13 year old We'll, we'll go down to 20, you know, 20, 25 seconds. Yeah. And some of it you just kind of, you just got to watch. You know, if the, if the quality of the movement stays high, then they can, you know, take a little bit, a little bit shorter rest. Um, and I think that's, that's for a couple of reasons. It's, it's not just about the output that they're, or lack of output that they're creating. It's also why that lack of output exists. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that they're 
less efficient in their technique. So even though they might be running as fast as they can run at the time, you know, if they had better technique, they could make no, you know, physiological changes as far as you know their their strength and rate of force development and and uh, you know reactive elastic qualities. But just a technical improvement would allow them to run faster right away, which then would be more you know uh, taxing on their nervous system. Even though they, they didn't actually they didn't get any stronger or faster, they're able to better express that strength and, and, and speed that they currently have, making it auto, automatically more taxing to them. So someone who's been you know sprinting professionally for ten years is hopefully you know near the the uh, the limits of their of their technical ability, so they're expressing what they have as efficiently as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's ah. Chad, I could talk to you all day. This is a great interview. Uh, I, I won't keep you too much longer. I, I really do want to get your thoughts on bilateral deficit. So I, I know that this is the first time me and Chad have ever spoken, so I, I don't know if Chad really knows who I am. Um, I, 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 uh, I'm really, really good friends with Mike Boyle. I actually I interned with Mike Boyle uh, back in 2009. And um, and listen, I mean, uh, as I always say this now, I know that there's lots of coaches who, who, you know, who disagree with Mike and... You know, and I I interviewed Mike just maybe two or three episodes ago. Like, and I you know I was saying, saying you know like I'll always ask Mike the hard questions, and like you know I was saying I was saying to him like Mike, I think other coaches get annoyed at you because like you say things such so blank like with these blanket statements, and you know he goes oh, I know I know, and you know like I think like uh, his kind of his lack of knowledge with regards to the energy systems initially, and and kind of like the physiology. You know that kind of would kind of piss people off, maybe a bit like James or something, where James is really into that end of things, and he's kind of like, you know, the aerobic system is important. And Mike boils some people don't do any aerobic training, just do intervals. And Mike would say, listen, I'm not a physiologist, and he and he'd be like, oh, you know, I admit I was wrong, but Mike still feels that that you know he still feels that you know the aerobic system isn't as important as it is, which I disagree on because I think aerobic is very important with regards to the ATP system. But anyway, but uh, but just let let you know, I I intern with Mike and and just. I shouldn't have to say this, but this this isn't for you now. This is for the listeners, and they know this that you know we're we're not attacking Mike Boyle as a person. Or uh, you know, as a human being, he's to- he's one of the top human beings you can meet. That man has done so much for me, and I just want to put that out there before he state this. So we're not attacking Mike. This is just to get Chad's opinions on a bilateral deficit. But Mike, obviously, as you know, is a big proponent on bilateral deficit. But you made a very interesting point on the Juggernaut Football video. Was that listen? You could take a, a, a Bulgarian or rear foot elevated split squat, as Mike calls it, and put 225 on it and do five reps in each leg, right? That's 225 load on each effort that you do. But then it's still not the same as a 400 kilo squat, even though you might say, oh, he did 225, 225, oh, sorry, 225 pound, 225 pound is 240 pounds, and he did a 400 pound squat. But you would still argue that that 400 pound squat is still more load for, that, for those single repetitions. And, and it puts more neural output of the body but anyway what are your thoughts then on, on bilateral deficit sorry I really rambled on with that one ah, no worries um, well, yeah so to, to the effect that you were saying I've never, never met Mike Will uh, seem, seems like a nice enough guy Great. I he, 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 I, honestly he is I know he can I know if you don't know him he, he may like some people go oh, he comes out you know he may annoy other people or come off but I'm telling you as, as I said as a human being he's top notch he, that man has done so much for me so, yeah, seems, seems like a great guy. So I'd say two, two points to consider about the context of these, of what he says and the context of my answers. Uh, first off, I'm 10 billion times stronger than Mike Boyle could ever imagine to be. So, D- definitely, I, I, I'll agree with that. <laughs> and, and second, when you enter into the business of strength and conditioning, particularly on the internet, there is some value in saying things that are controversial. Oh, he, he wouldn't. He definitely wouldn't disagree. But yeah, I, I yes. will I will say that Pat Beat, the guy who 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 like who came in to sell his like functional strength coach, particularly the the, the functional strength coach tree, because that was the one with the deadest squat, and like he he particularly took out that clip, and that's why he did it. Yeah. So Mike, yeah. yeah. So so I'll just leave I'll I'll leave those two statements for what they are. People can interpret them however they'd like. So with that being said, I'd say that you know the body is not meant to, to handle as heavy loads in a unilateral setting as it is a bilateral setting. Mm. Um, you know, 225 pounds on the, on the athlete's back 
is not as taxing to the to the nervous system. It's not as significant to stimulus, even though you're standing on one leg, as 400 pounds is on two legs, or as you know, 300 pounds is on, on two legs. More weight is just more weight. The same could be, I could take the same idea to a front squat and back squat. Someone could, could front squat 100% of their max, let's say that's 300 pounds, and and then they could take uh, you know a lesser percentage, less than 100% of their of their back squat max. Let's say 350 is 90% of their back squat max. That 90% that's 350 is going to be more taxing to the body, more significant stimulus than the 100% of their front squat max yeah. because 350 yeah. is just more than 300. You know, mm-hmm. Even though you're not at in as good a mechanical advantage to, to move it. Um, so as you're just looking at, you know, significant stimulus to the body, more weight is more stimulus. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's simple. Now, does that mean that a unilateral movement is not as valuable as a, as a bilateral movement? I, you know, to the, to the point I, I had made before about, you know, the value uh, of selecting exercises being based in, how well the athlete can perform them and uh, the output that they can create with them. I think the, the third piece to consider with that is where it fits into the, to the total training plan. Yeah. Um, so if, if an athlete, you know, and Mike's whole point, you know, granted it's been several years since I've seen that, that clip or even really thought about this, <laughs> that, that, his point in that was that the low back is the limiting factor uh, for athletes being able to handle heavier and heavier loads in the squat. Yeah, he'd, he'd still he'd still avoid by that. Yeah. So so if you know if if it's safer for the athlete for a particular athlete to to do unilateral work because bilateral you know work and a and a heavier load aggravates a back injury, then by all means do do the unilateral work mm-hmm. because the athlete you know. Assuming they're not a powerlifter, you know, they have no other option but to squat on two legs if they're a powerlifter because that is the sport. Yeah. But anything else, you know, they they can that exercise is re- replaceable for a football player. Back squats replaceable, front squats replaceable, split squat, whatever it is, whatever it is that's not football practice is replaceable. Yeah. So if it works better for that athlete, by all means, go go for it. Mm. It's it's not a, a blanket statement that I that I would make that this exercise is is better than that exercise because there's too many factors to to consider. Yeah. So I tend to, to stay away from <laughs> from those kind of blanket blanket statements, you know, unless it's reg- in regards to the use of Westside for raw powerlifting. That's that's really the only one that I I put myself out there as with more blanket statements on, but uh, but. But yeah, so if if the athlete can affect can safely and effectively perform a, a front squat or back squat, a bilateral squat variation, then that one will has the potential for for greater strength power improvements because it's a more significant stimulus to the body. Mm-hmm. But if that puts them in some kind of orthopedic, you know, distress, then then that exercise isn't a, isn't a good option for them. And if a bilateral or a unilateral squat variation uh, still allows them to provide their body with with significant stimulus, um, you know, for improved strength and power, and without that orthopedic concern, then by all means, yeah, use it. yeah. Can, can can I just ask your opinion too then on because um, because this argument goes both ways. So Mike obviously says the low back is is a limiting factor, and then he says the legs don't get enough work then in a bilateral stance. And then you get other people saying, "Well, then why should you?" Other people would argue, use that as an argument against overloading unilateral work, saying you really probably shouldn't overload their legs if you're building a spine that can't handle the strength you're putting into the legs. What would your opinion be then, in either way of that? Yeah, I think that that's a that's a very a very good point. Um, can the spine not? But then you just got to ask, you know, can the spine not handle? the load within the context of the sport. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm at, a, at a loss 
pause to think of an example of an athlete who is producing such great force through their legs and then having like an inability to transfer it through through their lumbar spine and it's causing them like an injury and yeah. within the context of their sport you know um but to go back to the four points you know that i try and use to guide my my programming you know point number three there was address address your weak points yeah so yeah. If, if there is a, a relative weakness of the low back that's negatively affecting sport performance then that needs to be addressed mm. and and doing a split squat for the sake of working around that, you know, and, and that, again, that's existing within a, within a vacuum that I don't know anything else that's going on in the program. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. That, that that would be a mistake. Yeah. Um, but it, it might, it might, you know, it might be that they're doing split squats and, you know, back raises and, and reverse hypers to try and bring up that, that low, that low back strength while also still providing the legs with significant stimulus, you know, so it's... Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you, that's a good answer. Uh, Chad, I mean, I, I could stay talking to you now for <laughs> another half hour, easy enough. I actually have more questions, but, I mean, I mean, you, you got to head off and I, I can always get you back on the show. Um, just for, uh, for for the listeners, uh, let them know the, the website address and uh, any other projects or, or any new things on the horizon coming up with you. Yeah, so the website is JTS, as in Juggernaut Train Systems, strength.com. So JTSstrength.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, my, my kind of bread and butter is the Juggernaut Method 2.0 is uh, something I'm really proud of because I, I feel like it's a, a descriptive rather than prescriptive book. You know, yes, there is a program in it that you can take to the gym and do right away. But I think there's also a lot of great information in it that will, you know, empower the reader to to make informed decisions about their own programming and their athletes' programming. That's going to last them long outside the context of the 16-week program that's included in it, mm. um, as well as the Jug- Juggernaut Football Manual, which is just a, a much more in-depth uh, version of that. And you know, if you have someone who's who's savvy enough and, and clever enough. That even though it was written for for football, if you understand, you know, and I think the book does a good job of explaining, you know, why I'm making these decisions in regards to football. If you can then look at that and say, well, if if this is what he's evaluating, this is the way it is for football, but this is the, you know, I'm doing it for lacrosse. The the same, you know, it, it will will inform the reader very well on how to make those decisions for for their own sport if they're, you know have a little bit of savviness to them about it uh but otherwise you know just writing writing articles uh doing seminars and clinics all over the place a a lot of people have you know expressed a a desire for for us to come over to uh to the uk and do some do some events so you know if anyone (laughs) listening wants to wants to host a couple powerlifters and meatheads from the united states you know myself and brandon lily and probably Colin Burns and Ryan Brown would be the, the squad that would come over there. Um, and then the thing that I that I really enjoy and I think you know really sets Juggernaut apart is this uh, Strong 360. If you haven't checked it out, it's our membership only platform. It's mm-hmm. got you know, forms and webinars and exclusive content. Um, and I think what makes it particularly unique is it's like a troll free environment that people have to post you know under their real name. And it would be something I'd, I'd love to see grow into the level of, you know, what the Charlie Francis forums were, where there are really smart coaches on there discussing ideas at a high level and being able to connect them through there. Um, so you can just check that out through Juggernauts at 360.jtsstrength.com. Um, so, yeah, that's mostly what I got going on. So you, you don't have anybody with screen, with, with screen names like Take Me From Behind? Uh, no, no. <laughs> that's only only my alter ego is on there. Uh, that's great stuff. <laughs> uh, la- well, just very last thing there. I mean, if if you if you do come to the UK, I mean, absolutely, I would have you in Dublin. One hundred percent. I would love to have you to come to Ireland. So if if that's if that's something you guys be interested in, maybe that's something we can talk about. Because as I said, uh, as I said to you, I don't know if I said it online or offline that uh, I went to Irish Sport Coaches Institute and 
we're hosting we're hosting Mike Boyle actually here Saturday week. It's the first time Mike's come to Ireland, and there's two hundred plus people coming. So like we're we're well used to putting on big events. So I mean, if you want to come over, I'm sure we could sort something out. Yeah, that would, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, we just need to figure out the logistics, but we can we can talk about that. Uh, yeah, def- off, definitely off in a future time. So uh, Chad, just stay online for just one, another thirty seconds. I'll wrap up the show and I'll just say my goodbye and thanks off air. So guys. What a brilliant podcast. And like so many of my guests, we were like 45 minutes and he's after giving me an extra 20 minutes of his time. So that was an absolutely brilliant hour. Like, ah, it was just brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. It was great information. And Chad, top class guy. I really appreciate him. So for all you guys listening, keep downloading the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll talk soon to you guys. Take care and stay strong.